Are you all ready to get into the word? We've, we've praised him. I heard the buzz today as everybody came in and was just greeting each other. And, and it's just a great day in the Lord. It's going to be 60 some degrees and sunny. And we're going to praise him this morning. Before we do, and before we open up his holy word, how about we uh, take a moment to pray and prepare our hearts and minds for it so it'll sink in. Father, we just humbly bow in your presence and, boy, we're ready just like, just like the spring grass and just like the trees that are starting to get a little bud on them. They're soaking up the new sun and the water and the rain that we had and they're getting ready for life. And so, Father, we want us this day to spring together with life. We want to soak up your word just like the, the rain and the dew from heaven. And we want it to fill us, Father. And that manna from heaven that you fed them with is what your word of God is like. And it's sweet as honey, Father, on, on our tongues. It's the most sweetest thing. That's why it's compared to that. They didn't have these artificial sweeteners. They didn't have all of that stuff. They had one thing that was very sweet, and that was honey. And it says, I'm going to take you to the land that flows with milk and honey. But then it says in the Psalms that, that my word upon your tongue is like honey. And when they would teach those young kids, when they would come that first day when they was old enough to come into their class, they would give them a little taste of honey. And they would tell them from now on, the word of God is as sweet as this honey. It will be to you in your life. So, Father, may we appreciate it. May it be sweet to us. May it be a challenge to us. May we begin to see its fullness. And we pray these things and we pray that through your word we glorify and honor you. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, if, if you're ready, open up to Joshua chapter 5. That's where we're, Well, Joshua 4. I'm going to start out at the very end of Joshua 4. So we're going to be there this day. But um, we covered a lot of ground last week. Man, last week we had Joshua 3 and most of 4, and I don't know how we did it because it, I'm usually like a five-verse-a-time kind of guy, you know, but boy, we covered a whole lot of ground, and uh, the Lord was glorified, so, and we got a lot of folks who, who wasn't here, so we got a, I'll do a small review to catch us up because this is a continuation of what we had. And uh, we saw last week that as they prepared to cross the Jordan River, this is going into Canaan's land, and they got ready to cross it, and uh, it represented something. That river represented a barrier. It represented a barrier from where they were to where God wanted them to be. And so that barrier has to be removed. You know, we had a barrier that came into our, our planet called sin, and it kept us from being where we want to be with God to where we want to go. It, it, it created a barrier there. Somebody had to break that barrier. The Jordan River, the Red Sea, was both compared to that. One of the Psalms actually compares both of them together. And it's the beginning and the end of that journey. 
There was a new generation. The first generation came out through the Red Sea. They all passed away in that wilderness wandering for 40 years. And then the new generation that we're talking about today in Joshua had to go through the Jordan River likewise to get through the barrier to begin to be in that spiritual battleground where God wanted them to be as his children. That's where they were going to be. The covenant people. And what happened was we saw that they got instructions that whenever the priests were to bear up the ark of the covenant of the living God that you serve, we serve the living God, the God of all of the heaven and the earth. And they picked up that thing that represented all of God's promises and blessings. Actually, the ark is going to represent the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who it represents. And, and so, and on top of that ark, anyone remember what's on top of the ark? Besides the wings of the cherubim, what's under it? The mercy seat. The mercy seat. So we got, we got the ark with the power of God and the mercy seat upon it. And it says when those priests bear up the ark and they brought it before all the people, they could see who they were going to follow. He said, you're going to follow the ark going across. You can't do it by yourself. It says in that scripture in Joshua 3 that the river overflowed in the spring. This was the time of the spring rains and getting ready for the crops. And it's just like our white river does every spring whenever the rains come. And last week I used an analogy because on this side of the river is the Edwards place. And on the other side of the river you got the Norse place. And do you think that you can cross either way whenever White River overflows its banks and all of these fields are flooded? Do you think that you could go on foot through the flooded fields, through the flooded river bank that's really flowing fast, through the flooded field on the other side to get to there? No. So a miracle has to take place. And that miracle is the ark. The Lord Jesus Christ, what it represents. And it's going to part the barrier. And you make a choice if you want to go through the barrier or not. And in the middle of that barrier, uh-oh, we just lost some. In the middle of that barrier, there's going to be something. Y'all didn't know I had these up here, did you? In the middle of that river, there's something in there. There's some stones. And so what the, what the Lord told Joshua said, I want you to choose one man from each of the 12 tribes. And that man, I want you to set him aside for when the people are going across. And at that point, they didn't know what their task was. They just know that they were chosen to be set aside for a moment. Sometimes that's like us. It took me 30-some years to really realize what I was supposed to be doing. So sometimes the Lord's just preparing you slowly for the things that you got to get ready to do. But they started going across. Everybody, when that, it says, when the soles of the feet of the priest hits that water, I will dry it up and I will stop the water's code. It'll be like a dam that goes across. It will stop right here. They're going from this side to that side as you would face it on the map. They're going from the east side to the west side. So he said, when the foot hits the water, this part is going to keep flowing and go to the Dead Sea. This part is going to stop like a dam. It's going to back up. As it's flowing, it's going to keep backing up like our reservoirs do. And it's going to back up 30 miles all the way to a city. I don't know if you're there in that chapter. But it says it's going to back up 30 miles all the way to the city of Adam. <laughs> there is no coinky dinks in the Bible. There just ain't. 
It could have been any city that they wanted to reference, but they said Adam. Do you know what the spiritual picture is? The, the barrier, the thing that's causing the barrier between you and where God wants you to be is sin. And we're going to back that up from all the way to Adam. The ark, the work of the ark, the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross is going to take care of everything. It's going to be rolled back all the way to Adam. And this side flows all the way, it says, to the Dead Sea. That's all the way to the end. Anyone from now, the cross was the dividing point. And everyone on that side, it was rolled back. Everyone on this side, you've got a choice. Do you accept the work of the ark and you cut across or not? And so everyone, it said, followed a cross. They all made it across because they chose to do that. And as they was going across, he said, Now, I want to tell you what those other 12 folks were here for. The ones that we chose here to put here. You guys, I want each of you to pick up a stone. And I want you to take that stone and put it on your shoulders. And that means that these were big boxes. They, I mean stones. They were big stones. You know how? Because you don't carry a pebble on your shoulder, do you? I wanted the bigger boxes that was back there. And they said, no, that's for the pantry. So I got some medium boxes. But they had to take these stones. And so 12 men representing all of the people of God, all of the 12 tribes, these 12 men each brought a stone up. And they took it out of the water. And they took it to where they were going to camp that night in a place called Gilgal. And then Joshua, once they had all crossed over, Joshua did something. Joshua took 12 stones. See, these stones was in the middle of the riverbed. You know where the water, you know what the water represents? Death. The water represents the depths of death. Whenever you're baptized, we'll see it in a minute in Romans chapter 6, but it says you were buried with Christ into baptism unto death. And likewise, you're going to rise out a new creature, right? So that represents in the middle of there symbolically, spiritually, as the place of death. So as they crossed over, he said, I want you to take 12 stones that had been in the place of death, and I want you to bring them out. I want you to make them come up and arise out of the place of death where it was and bring it to where you're going to camp tonight. Because those stones ain't ever going back into the place of death. And so they put all the stones up there in camp at Gilgal last, uh, where they were going to camp that night. And I, the Bible doesn't say it, but I'm wondering because it says it was in Gilgal. And we're going to find that that's all, everything was rolled away. All of the reproach was rolled away that day. Gilgal means circle. Circle comes to mean then as it goes forward, rolling away like a wheel rolls. And then it's not only the rolling away, but symbolically it represents a circle never ends, does it? So it ends up being the symbol of eternal life. What was it on three days after the Lord's work, the ark, the work on the cross? He was died, he buried, he resurrected. But on that third morning, when Mary Magdalene was coming there, she was worried because she could not what? 
Yeah, she couldn't roll the stone away from the tomb to be able to get to her Lord to where he had been in there. And she wanted to do him a better job of what they had to hurry do when they buried him and wrapping him in those things. But she says, but there will be no one there to roll the stone away. The angels did it. You know, the stones couldn't do nothing, could they? They're in the place of death, but they couldn't do anything for themselves. Somebody else had to come. And to do something, someone had to take away the barrier. Then those stones was at the feet of the priest. I remember a Bible verse that says, Blessed are they who are prepared with the gospel of peace. And their feet are, because whenever they go and they take it, the people get the message of the gospel. Blessed are the feet of those who bring the gospel. Those stones, when the, when the Lord's work was done, the stones were uncovered for a moment at the feet of the priests. And they were those that, that were taken, those who wanted to be on the other side, they took them and brought them to the place of life. And they, that is a monument, it says, forever now going forward. It was probably in a circular motion because it says that they called the place Gilgal because the reproach was rolled away just like the stone was rolled away on that third day and Christ arose from the grave. This was a monument now to them. But then Joshua did something else. As they brought those out, he took the stones that was out there on the ground and he put them back in the river. Not these, not these stones. This represents us coming out of death unto life. But he took 12 stones that had been out there and he symbolically placed them back into the water. And when the priests came out of the water, the water went back across all of those stones and it says that they were covered up at that time forevermore and they are still there to this day. You know what that represents? Yeah, let's, I don't even know where I'm at, but let's roll to the next, next slide. Yeah, stones represent us, doesn't it? Thank you, Miss T. We come unto him whenever we hear that gospel message at the feet of those who bring it. What are we then? We are lively stones, uh, rejected by men, but chosen by God. And you also, as living stones, are built up. You're taken out and you're built up like they did. They set them up and build them up. A spiritual house. You are a holy priesthood. You are a royal nation unto God. Able to offer up your spiritual sacrifices. Praise God. Isn't that good news? That's what we are the stones. That's why we were represented there with that. Now, what did that mean that some of the stones came out and some stayed in and was covered over? Give me that next slide. We're just going off the cuff right now. Romans 6, 1 through 8. What shall we say then? Do we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How many of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized unto his death? That, that's what the water represented. And therefore, whenever we arise, we are baptized into his death, and therefore you are buried with him by baptism unto death. They get buried back again. But even also when we are raised up from that water, we are raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father and we are to walk now in the newness of life. If we were planted together in the likeness of his death and those things stay there, we also know that in the likeness of his resurrection, 
that our old man of sin was crucified with him. We are freed from sin. We are no longer bound by sin and we will see it no more. We are freed and if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall live on the other side with him. Hallelujah, right? Man, that's what we covered last week. That's where we're at. Now you're all caught up and you're thinking, oh boy, here we, here we go because we're just now getting ready for today, okay? That's where we're at today. So it says that the barrier was rolled away. It is gone. That represented the old man dying and being covered up and we don't have to worry about him no more. The new man is now in Gilgal, the circle of eternal life. So then we get to our situation today. Uh, if you're there with me. Joshua chapter 4. It says in verse 3, that's when he told them you're going to pick these stones up out of the Jordan. You're going to bear them all the way to camp to where you're going to lodge tonight at Gilgal. And Joshua relayed the command and said, uh, place them on your shoulders that this may be a sign, a memorial. You know what a sign and a memorial is? It's something that represented something that that is to motivate you and to remind you, but also everyone that comes after us, our kids. So it says, these are going to be a memorial for you so that when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? What is the purpose? Why are you setting them up? What did you do it? And in the future days when time has passed and it wasn't the generation that first crossed over the river, they don't see that. They are, you're already there, but they are wondering what it is. He says, when they see what means these stones, what means the things that you've done to come to Christ and to cross over, what do they mean to you? You will answer them how that the waters of the Jordan were cut off by the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed the Jordan for you. He went before us, didn't he? He conquered death because he went before us. And he says, you will tell them that the ark cut off the waters that represented the burial and the death, and that these stones were brought out as a memorial to the children of Israel forever, and you are to tell your children. That's what they're for. The things that we do is so that when they ask us what means this, we explain it to them so that they can make the decision to follow after that themselves. It should be instilled with us with such great faith and passion that they want to know and that they want to follow and that they want to do it themselves and to be a part of that. And now our situation for today, let, let's keep reading now. Verse 19, here's where we're going to start with some new stuff in chapter 4 and verse 19. So the people crossed over and came up. There's your symbol of coming up out of the water, coming up away from that into the land. You arise to the new life. And on the 10th day of the first month, <clears throat> that rung a bell with me. You know, like we said, there's always everything that's written in the word of God is there for a purpose. Does anybody remember what the 10th day of the first month was? We had it last year, so it's been a while. Yes, Passover. On, in Exodus 12, and we're going to go there in a little bit. But in Exodus 12, when they were getting ready to do it the first time and cross that Red Sea, the Lord came to him and said, the angel of death that is going to come through. But here's what's going to happen. You're going to be able to get out of here and you're going to cross the Red Sea. 
And what I, what I want to happen is on the 10th day of the first month, this will be the first month to you from now on, and it really wasn't in their calendar just like it is in, in ours. The 10th day of the first month is now your new spiritual life. You know, I was talking about my birthday this morning. Well, my real birthday as a physical was today, but you know what? My spiritual birthday was in January of 1980. Whenever I named Christ as my Savior 42 years ago, yeah, 60 was today. And uh, I, 42 years ago when I was 18, just before I turned 19, I was buried just like that and brought up into that newness of life. That was the new birth. And so that's what's going on here. And he says, on the 10th day, you're going to choose the lamb. You know, they had to choose the lamb to cross over there. You're going to choose the lamb that, that's going to be your sacrifice and to protect you. And you're going to choose him. And, and on the 14th day, it's going to be the Passover day. And you're going to offer that up as a sacrifice. And you're going to put it on your doorpost. And those who are covered by the blood of the lamb will be saved this evening. And so... That's where we're going with this because they, this is all a reenactment physically for something. It's a spiritual message and it's the same message for us today. So this is what they're wanting us to know, okay? On the 10th day, they cross over. It's going to be on the 14th day that they're going to celebrate the Passover meal. So they got to wait a couple of days. But he says, okay, on the 10th uh, day, you're going to do that. You know when the 10th day is this week? It's the 12th. Or I mean not the 12th. It's the Tuesday. This Tuesday is the 10th day of the first month of God. When they would have been choosing their lamb for the Passover. But you don't have to do that now. Because Christ is our Passover that was sacrificed for us. But that is this week. This week is Passover week from the Old Testament point of view. And so... They, they, they brought those out. It's the 10th day in the circle of stones. And tell your kids what a miracle happened and how we crossed over that night. And there was a message to it so that the world will know and so that your kids will know that the Lord God is mighty to save and that all might fear the Lord your God. We serve a mighty God, folks. And the world ought to be able to know it from the way we live and what we do. And they ought to be able to ask us, what do these things mean to you because you're so different from everybody else that I've ever seen? And he, that's what this monument is to us. It should, As we go through life, that monument is, I've been taken from the place of death, placed in the place of eternal life, and I should be acting like it as I go about my world. Now, ah... Uh, and you teach your kids because that's the most important thing in life and you want them to find that too, right? So we teach our kids. Well, you know what comes next after that? After you pass through and you choose the lamb and, and you've, you've done that ritual of, of going from the place of death to the place of life through the waters, you know what you get to do next as a, as a memorial? We've got two of them carried over into the New Testament. The baptism, the carrying over. And you know what the other thing is? Communion. We're going to do it in a little bit. The Lord's Supper. Oh, yeah, that's right. Communion. You know, it got brought over too. The Lord did that. You remember that night on the Passover feast? He took the cup. 
they did the Passover feast, but then he said, I'm going to introduce you to a new supper. This is going to be a new supper that's going to take place from now on because I'm going to fulfill the old and we're going to go in with a new one. So turn the page to Joshua chapter 5. Let's see if they're following the same pattern. How many times do we continue to say that the Bible, that God the Holy Spirit writes in a pattern? That what you see in the old is represented in the new. It's revealed. It was hidden in the old, but it becomes real spiritually in the new and gets revealed. So in Joshua 5, so it was when all the kings of the Amorites on the west side, see that's where they crossed from east to west, all of them on the west side of the Jordan, whenever they crossed over to be at Gilgal that night, which is close to Jericho, when they crossed over the kings of that side of the river, the Amorites, and then all the Canaanites, that means all the way up to the Mediterranean Sea. So that's from the river to the sea, which means everyone in the entire community there in that uh, promised land of Canaan. It says, everyone began to fear and their hearts just melted because they heard the great work of the Lord. They, they should... That should be what's happening in the world today because of the church representing the power of God in our crossed over life. Amen? So they all were just hearts melting because how mighty the work of God was. And then whenever they crossed over, you know, I, I mentioned a few weeks ago, Canaan's land those songs led us astray a little bit. You remember, to Canaan's land, I'm on my way where the soul of man never dies. Canaan's land is the land of warfare and taking back the land for God, which is what we got to do now. We got to take our land back for God. It's the place of warfare. The first thing they're going to do is go to Jericho and try to drop those walls and get in there and take that city for God. So it's a land of warfare. It's what we do when you come through the water and you're taken from the place of death to life. You are now signed up in the army of God and it's spiritual warfare and it's on. But before you go to war, whenever I went into the army in 1979, they didn't send me over to Iran and the Ayatollah yet. I had to go to Fort Jackson, South Carolina and get my hair cut. And then I had to go to Fort Gordon, Georgia to do what? Basic training. You got to get prepared before you go to war. You got to be prepared and ready. You got to get, you got to learn how to march. You got to learn how to obey orders. You've got to learn how to submit to authority because everyone's above you. And they're going to be telling you what to do and there ain't none of this, uh-uh, I ain't doing that because that drill sergeant's going to get right in your face and he's going to make it pretty clear you are going to do it or you're going to pay for it. So, and that's, you got to get prepared. So we got to draw up a battle plan and get prepared. Do you know what the Lord, he's, he's our commander-in-chief, right? He's the Lord of hosts. Host means armies. He is the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of the army. And so he's going to draw up a battle plan. And he calls one of his generals up. He calls Joshua up in the meeting room. And he says, Joshua, we got to draw up a battle plan for what we're going to do. We're getting ready to go into warfare. We're getting ready to go to Jericho. Huge walls. Lots of stuff. We got to be prepared. Now, I don't know about you, but usually when generals come together, they're thinking about the welfare of their troops. They're thinking about a lot of things like logistics. 
safety, um, an inroad, a plan, an escape route, that a, a recon place. We got all of this kind of stuff that generals are supposed to be looking at before you get there to the warfare. So what's the Lord tell them about the first thing that you guys got to do? Hey, Joshua, it's basic training. Here's what I want you to do. Verse 2, if you're there in chapter 5. In verse 2, he says, Joshua, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go get you some flint rocks. You know, I almost put flint stones, and then you'd have thought of Barney and Fred. So I had to take that off and put flint, flint rocks. Because flint stones, you guys would have been all off on our cartoons. But they did use flint rocks, didn't they? And stuff like that. Yeah, and they had a little bird that cut out the pictures whenever. Oh, never mind. Okay, I want you, the Lord said, Joshua, I want you to go get some flint rocks. And I want you to sharpen those rocks. I want you to, guys, I hope they made them sharp. (laughs) Real sharp, okay? Because I'm feeling this. I want you to take these rocks and make them really sharp. And I want you to circumcise every one of the men there before you get ready to go. And before you're going to take the Passover feast in a couple of days, you have to be ready to do it. And the first prerequisite is to be circumcised. So, I'm thinking that Joshua was going, Lord, here's the word that came to my mind when I'm thinking about all these grown men of war who have crossed over into the enemy territory. Remember, we're on the other side now. We're in enemy territory. And the word that came to my mind is Joshua must have been thinking, Lord, it's a long word, so I broke it down. It will incapacitate us. (laughs) We will be incapacitated. We won't be able to move. We're in enemy territory. We're getting ready. They know that we've just entered the land. And you're telling us to get circumcised by a sharp rock, every one of our men of war. And we're going to be incapacitated in the land of the enemy. You know what? It's through our weakness that he's made strong, isn't it? He says, don't you worry about a thing. I'm going to have you covered. You're underneath my wings. I am your shield and your great reward. You just do what I tell you to do and everything's going to be all right. I said, that's the way the drill sergeant would have done. I said, circumcise every one of them. He said, yes, sir. And he went out and he started making the rocks and they started circumcising every single one of the men. And the Lord God protected them during that time. They didn't know that the hearts of all the men from there to the Mediterranean had melted. They just know we're in enemy territory and we're getting circumcised. And Joshua must be thinking, Lord, that incapacitates us. Has anybody ever read Genesis chapter 34? You you know what's in Genesis 34? We'll be there in a few weeks because we're in 26 now on Wednesday night. Genesis 34. You've heard of Jacob who later becomes Israel, right? And his 12 sons. Did you know he had some daughters too? He had a daughter named what? Anybody remember? Dinah. He had a daughter named Dinah. And in chapter 34 of Genesis, it's, it begins by saying, Dinah wanted to go and mingle with the girls that was around in the area. You, you see, she's in a, by a place called Shechem. 
it's almost the same place where they are at right now as they cross over the river. And Dinah uh, goes and wants to mingle with the strangers out there. And so Dinah goes out there, and you know what happens? There's a guy named Shechem. His daddy is Haram, and Haram is the king, the prince of all of the land. And he's the, the cr crown prince in waiting. He's the son. And you know, those kind of folks, they take what they want. So he saw Dinah, and he violated her. And then his heart fell in love with her, and he said, I want her. And he kept her there, I believe, because later on at the end, I'll tell you why I believe that of this. But he, he violated her. He kept her. And then he, his heart fell in such love. He said, Dad, I want this girl to be my wife. Make it happen. Give it to me, Daddy. Give it to me. This is what I want. And so Daddy's like, okay, but this ain't going to be easy because this is a group of people over here uh, that we're going to have to go talk to and explain what happened here. So they come with their little entourage to come over to Jacob. And word had gotten to Jacob of what happened to his daughter Dinah. But it says <clears throat> he had kept it to himself. That he hadn't breathed it to anyone. I think he knew his sons. Because you see what happens is, is when they came over and started to get ready to talk. All of the sons started. They saw this and they came in from the fields. So we got the 12 sons now coming in from the fields. And uh, he says hey here's what happened. They go what? Well my son you know kind of violated your daughter. And now he wants to marry her and he wants your blessing. Well, Jacob hadn't said anything, but you know what? Her two real brothers by the same mother, Leah, because there was four different ones that the, those children were down through. So the two older brothers through Leah, Simeon and Levi, they pushed dad out of the way. He said, watch out, dad. Watch out, dad. You, you just stand back and let us. Because while this is going on and while they've heard what's going on, they're plotting. And like it says in the movie Next of Kin, and in the one with um, Wild Bill Hickok and them, uh, that one where they had the shootout at the OK Corral, said, it ain't the revenge that you got to worry about, it's the reckoning. These boys was planning some reckoning on their sister. You just don't do that to my sister is what they're saying. So they said, Dad, step aside for a minute. And they went up to him and they'd made a plan. And they came up all smiles and Simeon and Levi said, hey, we would love to do that, but we're a circumcised people. Here's our key word, okay? We're a circumcised people. And we can't associate with the uncircumcised people of here. But if you could convince every one of you to be circumcised of the males that are in your city, then we could probably have some fellowship with you. Well, he wanted her so, please, daddy, please, daddy. So he says, okay, we'll see what we can do. They go back. They tell all of the men. Now, they start plotting their own plot. They don't know the plot that Simeon and Levi's got going on. But they go back, and they tell uh, all the people of the city, hey, there's this rich tribe out there. They got, they got young girls. They've got all kinds of stuff, merchandise. They want us to be circumcised, and if we're circumcised, then when they join with us, we will take advantage of them. We'll take all of their stuff and everything they got, 
and they will become like underlings underneath us. Ha, 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 isn't that a great plan? Good job, son. And so it says that they made their sharp flints, and they circumcised every man from, from young to, that was able to old. All of them were circumcised. You remember our key word, incapacitate. On the third day, it says that Simeon and Levi took their swords. They went into the town, and they started from the outside, and they went all the way up to the king's house. And they were able to slay every single man of the city because they couldn't move because of the circumcision that they had went underneath of. And so they even went to the king's house, and when they did the king and the son Shechem that had violated their sister Dinah, it says that they grabbed Dinah out of his house, which is why I think that he still had a hold of her. I'm just insinuating from the text that since they came to talk and none of the boys knew about it, and when they went there three days later, they took her out of the house. I'm assuming that they had kept her there. So they go and they take their sister and they come back and Jacob was like, look what you've done. Now we're going to all these people be bad. But you know what? The Lord took care of that. But anyway, that was the story out of Genesis 34. And you'll get those if you're on Wednesday night learning about these things in Genesis because all of this stuff in Genesis and Exodus builds for everything that's spiritual for us today that's revealed in the New Testament. So Joshua's thinking, Lord, you got a fine way of preparing my soldiers as men of war for the war. You're going to incapacitate us for three days. They knew all about Genesis 34 and Dinah and what had happened there. You're preparing. He said, no, this is different. I've got you. You're mine. But before you can go into the battle, you got to show that you're mine. You know why? Because you are a covenant people, or at least you're supposed to be. Now we've got to find where we're at. Okay, go past that. Okay, so now in spiritual warfare, it's first things first. Yeah, it's first things first. We don't put the cart before the horse. You've got to be my covenant people before you get to go into the warfare. And even before you're going to take of the Passover feast in a minute, you're going to have to do what the prerequisites are, what I've told you to do before you do that. And so then we see what happens next. It says that God reminded Joshua, back in Joshua 5 in our text, if you're there, he reminded Joshua as they went on. He said, you know what, back uh, verse 4, 40 years ago when you all came out of Egypt, Every one of you was circumcised before you came out and crossed the Red Sea. That is my covenant relationship, my sign with you, that you are mine. This is a prerequisite before you could do all of that. It was the outward circumcision was to the Jew. It was their outward expression of the faith and the hope that was within them. Of the covenant of God, the relationship with God, and the promises of God for the future. So, Genesis chapter 17 has to come to our mind. Genesis 17 is where God came to Abraham and said, I'm making you the father of many nations. But, to show that you're my people, you will circumcise every single male child that is within your house. And they did it from young all, all the way to old. 
Because this, verse 7 of Genesis 17, is my covenant that I establish with you. And this will be the sign, the monument. This is my covenant that they will be circumcised in the flesh of their foreskin. And this is the sign between me and you. If you don't have that, you don't have the sign of the covenant. You don't have a covenant relationship and a fellowship with me as of yet. And I don't know if you remember in Exodus when God called uh, Moses from the burning bush and told him to go back and to tell Pharaoh, let my people go, that halfway along the trip, the Holy Spirit almost killed Moses. You remember that? We talked about it one time. The Holy Spirit, whenever they made a stop that night, he was nigh unto death. And why was he nigh unto death? Because his two sons had not been circumcised unto God into a covenant relationship and he was getting put to death under spiritual pain. And he called out to Zipporah's wife. And she had to take a flint and circumcise those two half-grown children. And she threw the foreskins at his feet and said, A bloody husband you are unto me. So he was about ready to be killed. Moses before that because he had not done that. Because the word of God in Genesis 17 he said this, God told Abraham, that is my covenant with you. The flesh of the foreskin will be cut off if those who do not has broken my covenant with you. You broke it. You're not under it any longer. So it was the cutting off of the flesh of the foreskin, the sign of the covenant relationship with God. And thus the word of God says, not mine. This person will be breaking my covenant and will be cut off. From among the people. Isn't that a strange analogy? If you don't cut off the flesh of the foreskin. You will be cut off from me. Because you didn't do that. There's, a, there's that play going on there. So for God to bless the people going forward. They have to be circumcised. Why? Because he reminded him there in chapter 5. Where he was saying. 40 years ago you guys had to do this. Before you left. Those 40 years of wandering, every one of you except you and Caleb fell by the wayside. This is an entire new generation of people. And none of them have been circumcised. So you have done the rite of passage through the water from death unto life. And we've placed your stone there and your old man was buried. But you've got to bury something else along with it. That old flesh of the foreskin. You've got to... Because now you are making a covenant agreement with God when you do that. That you are changing into a new person. And I am now in a relationship with God. And so they, he said this day then after all of that. That when you cross over the next thing that you're supposed to do. First things first is get circumcised then. And then check out verse 4 and 5. He said this is the reason. Joshua circumcised all of them because all the people from Egypt, the men of war, died in the wilderness when they came out. And all of these people are the new generation and that have come out. So they have not been circumcised. So you've got to do first things first. Basic training before we get into the spiritual warfare. So then once they did that, it says, I don't know what the hill was called beforehand. But after they got done, it was called the hill of the foreskins. So, <laughs> so I don't know how many, because there's a lot of them, but now it was known as the hill of the foreskins from that point forward. And so then in verse 9, 
Because they had done that, the Lord told Joshua, now the reproach of Israel in verse 9 has been what? Are you there with me? What's it say? Rolled away. Isn't that what that circle meant too as you came through and we put them in Gilgal? It's been rolled away whenever you did this to this day. So now that rolling away, the symbol of everlasting life, the covenant relationship with God has been fulfilled. Now look at verse 10. The children of Israel camped in Gilgal and now they were able to what on the 14th day? Now they were able because they had the preparation beforehand to be able to do it. They had... They had crossed through the waters unto death unto life, which represented them being circumcised unto God. And on the tenth day, they chose that lamb. They went through. They were uh, circumcised, now in a covenant relationship with God. And now they were able to partake of the Passover supper there, this new generation was. So let's see if they follow a pattern. The first the first one we mentioned was Exodus 12. You can turn there if you'd like, but I'm going to Exodus 12 for a minute because this is where God instituted it, and it's God's word. And in verse 24, he said, this is going to be, in Exodus 12, 24, he said, this is going to be for your generations forever. This is how you're going to do it. Even when the land you go into, which is right now in Joshua, this is what you're going to do. When your children ask, why are you doing this Passover feast? Why are you doing this supper? You tell your children what it means. And you will say to them, this Passover sacrifice, it says in Exodus 12, that it is a sacrifice to the Lord. You see, everything we do is to be explained to our kids, isn't it? You explain to the kids about the stones and Gilgal and what that meant, about the Lord's Supper. You, you explain to your kids, what does this mean? They ask you. You explain to them and you develop a pattern because you want them to follow you in faith on what you're doing. You choose the lamb, he tells them in Exodus 12, on the 10th day. On the 14th day, you're going to offer that lamb. Now, now go to verse 43. If you're in Exodus 12, go down to 43, beginning. It says, the Passover regulations of God for people taking it. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is my ordinance of the Passover feast. No foreigner shall eat of it. Every man's servant, anyone else who has not been circumcised, you, when you have circumcised him, he may eat it. So the sojourner, any hired servant, anyone in the house, if they are going to eat, that they are not going to eat unless they have been circumcised. Look at verse 48. When the stranger dwells with you, and he wants to keep that Passover feast to the Lord, let all the males be circumcised, then let him come near and keep it. And then he shall be now known as like a native of the land. He will be one of you. For, and what's that last verse say next? I want to hear you say it. What's it, what's it say? For no what? Shall eat of it. No uncircumcised person eats of my Passover feast. So that it's the same pattern then that we find in Joshua 5, wasn't it? First things first. We got to take care of the details before you move on. Uh, this, does this apply to you and I in the church today? That's what I want to know. Because usually everything in the Old Testament is, is hiding something spiritual in the New Testament. Because I'm glad they're not telling every one of us to, to do that type of thing physically today, but is there a spiritual reference for it? 
Well, first things first. How does it apply to the church? Well, first of all, they had to choose the lamb. Then they had to, to uh, be circumcised. And then they ate the supper and then they prepared for the battle. And no uncircumcised person could eat it because these are new generations coming up. Well, who is the lamb that we choose? Jesus. John 1.29, when John the baptizer saw Jesus baptizing at this very spot that they crossed over, Bethabara, 1,400 years ago. Bethabara means the place of the crossing. And when he said, these stones God could raise up as people unto him, that's the stones of Gilgal that he's talking about. Bethabara, the place of the crossing. And he said, as he was baptizing in the Jordan, here come the Lord, and he said, behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. So there's the Lamb of God going before us, just like the Ark of the Covenant did. And He goes before us. We choose the Lamb. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to follow Him, right? Didn't the Word say three weeks ago, you're going to follow Him. You look to Him, and you're going to follow Him wherever He goes. So 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7 says this, For indeed, Christ our what? The Messiah are what? So he, the Lamb of God, represents the Lamb of the Passover feast, doesn't he? It is our Passover. It's a spiritual feast that we are going to be doing. The Lamb went first with John the Baptist. He went first into the waters of death. He was raised new for us. And now we are following him and we follow his pattern. He is our Passover. And we have to choose the Lamb that was sacrificed for us. And then what about this circumcision rite then to be able to partake of the feast? Look at Colossians chapter 2 up there. Verse 11 beginning, what does it say? In him, in Christ, your Passover lamb, you were what? You were also circumcised with a circumcision with flint stones? With what? Without hands, right? It's a spiritual circumcision of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, when? when? What's the next verses of the circumcision of Christ, when? When you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised. That was those stones, buried and raised. You were buried with him in baptism. You were raised up from the dead by the glory of God. And you who had been dead in sin and your trespasses, has he made alive up there as living stones? He forgave you all your trespasses. He wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us. Contrary, and he nailed them to his cross. Praise God. Amen. You see the spiritual representation of the physical things that they went through. The, so what was the pattern? The pattern was choose for the lamb, the sacrifice for you. You follow through our spiritual rite of circumcision into Christ, having forgiven us our sins, and then you partake of what he instituted that night in the upper chamber with the disciples and you become in what? When you are baptized into Christ, it means you come into union with him. And so when you partake of that supper, it is called common union. That's what the word means. You are in a common union with him because you are a part of his body. Oh, does, does the New Testament continue that pattern then for us, the church? Well, we know from 
Matthew 16, the church wasn't there yet because Jesus, when Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, he said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say to you that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will what? Build what? So has it been built yet when he's talking in Matthew no, I will, future tense, I will, upon this truth that I am the Son of God, I will build. Well, what happens? He dies, he's buried, he's resurrected that third day. The stone is rolled away, Gilgal, praise God. The sins are, t- are taken, the victory is won. Matthew 6, or Mark 16, verses 16, 16. What's our example then? Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel. What's, what's at the feet of the priests? Blessed are they who are shod with the gospel of peace. You preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not is condemned. That means you choose. Do you want to be a stone that stays in the water? Or do you want to be a stone that's raised out of the water unto newness of life? So there's your... Jesus gives us the example. He says the same thing in Matthew uh, 28, 18, and 19. And so these are the Lord's words... Lo, I am with you always then, even unto the end of the age. Why? Because you're in union with him. And those who follow the instruction of Christ become sons of God by faith in Christ. And we are what? Baptized into Christ. Let me see the next slide, Miss T. Yeah. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. What's it say? You are all children of God. How? By faith in Christ. What's that faith represented with? For as many as you have been baptized, what? Into Christ, you have put on Christ. There's your common union now. You've put him on in faith. It's the same thing. It was your outward expression of the faith that you have to the entire world. The same thing that circumcision was to Abraham and said, you will all do this before you do anything else. Do I have anything else to back that up on? Give me the next one. Well, the next one, I just covered that one. Acts chapter 2. Let's see what it says to the church because we get to here and now all of a sudden the church is mentioned. Here's where the church was founded and formed. Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will what? Not going to prevail against it. So how do, you, how do you get a part of that? How do you get in fellowship? Here's the day it was established. In Acts chapter 2, he had said, I will build my church. And here it comes. And in verse 36, he says, I want you to know he had taught him about uh, everything, about what had happened with Christ all that time. And he said, I want all of the house of Israel, that's the people of God, to know assuredly that this same Jesus that you crucified that you didn't believe his message when he was here on this earth with you, who you crucified, that God has now made him to be both Lord and Christ. And they were pricked in their hearts. They were cut deep because they understood the implications of that. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And he said, repent. And I've explained before that repent doesn't mean feel sorry because I did that. No, repent means that's over and done with. You can bury that. It means change your mind and start following the new way of God. It means you crucified him because you didn't believe. You want to know what you're supposed to do. Now's the time to believe and to to change who you are and be baptized everyone. How many? Verse 38. 
Every one of you in the name, which means by the power and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. For what purpose? Remission of sins, that you may receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is a promise to you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And then with many other words, verse 40, he testified and exhorted him, saying, what? Be saved from this perverse generation. Verse 41, I love this verse. Then those who what? Gladly what? Those that gladly received these words, his word, the good news, were baptized. And that day, 3,000 souls were added. They continued. Now, who's they? The church, the 3,000 souls, right? They who, who said were pricked in their heart. And Peter said, you repent and be baptized. They who gladly received the word were and so then they that gladly received were, they were added to them, the church. They, those that were believed and baptized, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's what we get from the word of God. And in fellowship, that's when we come together, right? And then what's the next one? Was there the same pattern that we have saw from Abraham, from Moses, from Joshua to the church today? Only ours is spiritual where theirs was literal. They were playing out a literal thing for us to learn by spiritually on what we have to do. And what happened? You repent, you believe, you receive the word, you are baptized into Christ, you are now in common union with him. You continue then at that point in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of your bread, and in prayers. And you praise God with favor. And the, who adds to the church? The Lord adds to the church. The same word that was used up there that was added to them in verse 40 and 41. Added to the church. So now we know that this is referring to the church. And this is when it started. And they, those who were being saved, praise God. It is the same exact pattern. And why? As our praise team comes on up and we get ready to close this out. Why? Because it's first things first, isn't it? With the Lord, it's not, you're not going to bypass the things that I've told you and asked you to do. This was my word. This was my, as it said in Exodus 12, my ordinances of requirements. This is what I want you to do. Why? It's for a sign to you, but it's also a sign to everyone else about it. And this is your preparation. This is your basic training for spiritual warfare. Man, you've got to get ready. And it's going to be a battle. And so this is what you do. And then you're in common union with me. And I must have went a long time because everybody's got to get up. But, but this was it. And I just, the Lord had us right here at this point so we'd know. Because next week, guess who we're going to meet? We're going to meet the Lord God, the commander of the army. Joshua is in a minute. And he's going to get some more instructions on the battle plan. Next week, we'll be ready for a battle plan. But you've got to do first things first before you get to there. Amen. So church, those of you who have followed this, get ready for the battle. For those, though, who haven't, today's your day. Let's make this happen. Let's choose the lamb by faith. Let's be circumcised by faith in that water. Let the old man of sin get buried. That Right there is the hill of the foreskins. Okay? The old man is going to be buried right there forever. And then you're going to arise to the newness of life. And next week, 
You're going to get ready for the battle plans. You're going to find out a whole bunch of stuff that, that's just fascinating. And I pray that you come back. But it's all for a couple of purposes too. Memorials are not only for us and continue to remind us and build faith. But what else are they for? To teach our children so that they follow in our footsteps in faith. And so that the world may know the power of the living God of all of the earth that we serve. Amen. Father, we humbly bow in prayer and we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the illustrations that you place all the way through it. And then just the rejoicing that we have when we see it come to life in the new. It's like that was all buried there and, and revealed now to us on what it all really meant. It was all written, it says in, in your holy word. All the things that they did was written for our learning as an example to us on what we are to do today. But it was all physical and now it is spiritual. And so, Father, we praise you. We pray that this walk of life, that we can now follow the ark in everything. We're going to follow Jesus. He's going to lead us into battle. We can't get ahead of him, Father, and get before the ark. We've got to stay back and follow the ark through the waters and then through the land and allow you to lead us in this life, Father. Please help us. It's tough and the enemy surrounds us. Continue to surround us with your love, with your power and with your protection and blessing and provision, Father, as we try to serve you and follow your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we ask these things and we praise you, shouting, Amen. Praise God.
seated.